Good afternoon. It is Friday, May 6, 2001, and it is my pleasure to introduce our guest today, Joni Daniels. Joni, welcome. Thank you so much. Great. Joni, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? <laughs> okay. Um, a little bit Kurt, more than everybody else gave. Okay. I, <laughs> I want to know say. more than where you live. <laughs> okay. Well, right now, I'm for the last uh, five and a half years, I have lived in and live in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I, but before that, I was in Philadelphia for 22 years, although I'm not from there either. And since 1989, I have been a consultant. I founded uh, Daniels & Associates, which is a management development training consulting firm. We do management development training, one-on-one -on -one work, guided execution, facilitation of off-site retreats. I'm a speaker. Um, I write for uh, business publications. I have a newsletter. I have a blog. I'm on television locally for the uh, ABC affiliate on a back-to-work segment once a month. I write for the Business Journal. Um, I've taught uh, most recently at Towson University in their School of Business and Economics, but for 10 years I was on faculty at the Wharton Small Business Development Center's uh, certificate program. Um, I actually started out uh, a long time ago in another state and another life as a guidance counselor. My background is in counseling and then moved into and made the transition into corporate um, in the early 80s and have worked internally in employee relations and training and development. Wow. And and what do you do in your spare time? Um, I don't have any spare time. Apparently, <laughs> well, when I hear myself, that you know, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of energy. So in a way, it's, it keeps me off the streets because it keeps me focused and, and directed. Uh, my clients range from family-owned businesses to multinational corporations, Fortune 100, Fortune 500, non-for-profit, uh, education, professional association. Um, I like to say I'll go anywhere that someone wants me to go if they'll pay me. Um, right. So it allows me a lot of exposure, a lot of flexibility, a lot of variety because I work in the area of professional interpersonal effectiveness. So right. the, the culture changes, the client changes, the political environment changes, but the skills usually don't, and they really are about managing yourself, being empowered, managing others, managing organizations, understanding interpersonal and organizational dynamics. Right, and Joni, when we were talking yesterday, um, you know, I was sharing with you that that your client base uh, very much is mirrored by the Executive Girlfriends Group. We've got a, a large, uh, very very broad range of. Uh, you know, types of companies that are represented, and then, uh, again, all the way down to the entrepreneurs, the solopreneurs, and people who are still uh, what we call in-between successes. So um, as as you go through your remarks, uh, again, the people who you wrote the book for are very much the people who are going to be listening to this on demand as well as those who are live on the call today. I was really fascinated uh, in reading the introduction to your book, and, and there were a couple of things in there that really resonated with me, and one was how women talk. Uh, and you, you talked about how men tend to end their sentences very definitively. Uh, this is actually something I, I struggle with my son about because he's 11 years old and he ends every sentence with a question mark. And, and uh, he grew up in Russia. Uh, we adopted him when he was three. And I, I wonder whether that's something he just learned uh, from the Russian language. But now I'm wondering if he learned it because he was around women all the time. Well, that's an interesting observation. Um, how old is he? 
Well, he's 11 now. Okay. Uh, we we have not done uh, any, any uh, speech therapy to try to get a hold of that, and his teachers haven't honed in on it. But it wasn't until I read your intro today <laughs> that that occurred to me, because you talk about how women use other punctuants other punctuation, that their sentences are generally more tentative and end with dashes, commas, hyphens, and question marks. Right, right. Some of that actually is, um, you know, if, if he ends his sentences with sort of an uptick where if everything sounds like a question, that can be a teenage idiom that disappears. Um, but I find that if it doesn't disappear, you're right. It, it, it's a very tentative way of speaking, as if you're always making sure everybody's okay with it, asking for permission, not quite sure, um, and, and it comes off as a, a little more tentative. Um, and it can be prob- it certainly is problematic for women professionally um, because there is a lack of awareness about it. And, um, you know, women tend, tend to, and again, I know I talk in generalizations and stereotypes, but it, it makes it easier to, to kind of cast a, a wide net, Women tend to make sure everybody's okay with everything that as they move forward um, because they're more concerned with if everybody's okay. But when it comes right. across in the communication, and that's what people hear, it just sounds much more tentative. Well, one of the other things uh, particularly that resonated with me in the introduction was you were talking about the whole metaphor of the power tools and all of the things that happen when we're young that reinforce that uh, in our lives, that, you know, shop class uh, was really for the boys. Now, they did let girls in, and but it never really took on as, as something that was a part of training for women. But it is a very, very efficient shorthand for talking about the tools that women need. So tell us a little bit about how this, this evolved. And, and it sounds like you've been talking about power tools for a long time before you actually wrote the book about it. I really was um, because I, as a guidance counselor, when I first started out, I um, have a very upbeat, positive, optimistic focus that people, especially the kids that I was working with, um, are capable of accomplishing things, um, but it may require a different set of skills, ramping up some of the skills they have they're not using as effectively, tamping down some of the ones they may be overusing, um, and I thought, you know, the skills, what fascinated me was women tended to, um, in my circle, you know, they would complain about, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, and, and yet I would know them in a way where I would say, but I see you do that all the time. I see you use those skills. And the skills are portable. So what's different? Why can't you take the skills with you wherever you go? Because you're very powerful in, in, at work. So why can't you handle your mother-in-law the same way you handle the vice president of sales? Or vice versa. You know, you're very capable at home. Your, your house looks like, you know, Martha Stewart came down and, and sat on your shoulder the whole time you were creating it. And yet you tell me, you know, you're just overwhelmed with the thought of, of running an annual meeting. So I would think I don't understand why what's what's stopping people from being as powerful as they are in one place somewhere else. And I like this whole concept of portability. I happen to be married to an engineer, and he kept talking about, well, it's like a power tool. You know, you, you, you take it with you wherever you go, you plug it in. And I thought, that's exactly what it's like. Um, and that's sort of how the metaphor became crystallized for me. And then what I loved about it was, and it's a very foreign 
thing for most women. We're not encouraged to become mechanics. Uh, I took six weeks of shop, you know, and I, I think I built a shelf. And, and that was it. And for some reason, it was, it was never expected that I would need those skills as much as I needed uh, sewing skills and cooking skills and first aid. Um, right. And I thought, well, you know, that shop in and of itself, or as they call it now, industrial technology, that's, that's not gender specific. You know, if, you've got, if you're creative, if you've got patience, uh, you can probably do anything. And, and frankly, if you've got patience and you can read, you can probably do a fair job in the kitchen and with a sewing, sewing machine as well. Right. Right, but that discrete set of girl skills that we are encouraged uh, to take on when we are little and then, you know, we get exposed to these other things. But the, the one of the statements that you made was that, you know, women have accepted uh, a lot of the limitations that are imposed on us from those very, very early days. Mm-hmm. and that we behave according to the loudest voice in our brain, the voice that pushes us to relinquish that power. And, you know, I, I thought about that because, you know, I'm I'm not easily um, deterred from what I want to do, but I thought, you know, I wonder how many times I'm doing that or wanting to be liked or wanting to be accepted in what I do. Why don't we um, do this, Joni, because I, I really want to expose our, our listeners and those who are live on the call uh, to the, this wonderful metaphor that you have, have brought to bear in this book. And, uh, you know, I'm just su- such a sucker for something that is both clever and practical, and that's exactly <laughs> what you've done here. So the very first one, well, actually, you do talk about this whole thing of portability and that we need to have these things uh, available to us and, and metaphorically that, that we're carrying them with us. And, and the first one that you talk about are safety goggles. Tell us what right. that is. All right, safety goggles. Actually, I, I know that safety goggles aren't, aren't actually power tools. You don't plug them in. But before you pick up any tool, uh, you're always told to put on your safety goggles. And I thought this is so critical because safety goggles protect your vision, and we really need to have a vision of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, women often get sidetracked with um, details or somebody's desk on fire or, as you pointed out, somebody's voice is yelling and screaming or, or we get um, distracted by our own emotional responses to things that go on, and we sometimes forget about what are we trying to accomplish. Let's keep that safe and, and in our minds and eyesight foremost. And so one of the, the, first, the first chapter of the book that deals with the tool is actually about safety goggles. And whether it's a, a small vision, like, you know, I want to just lose five pounds by the time the summer rolls around, or something really big, like, I, I want to buy a house. I want to go back to school. I want that promotion. Um, you've got to have that vision that's clear. And also, you have to be able to articulate it and export it if you're going to need other people to help you with it. Very interesting. So let's talk about the next one, which is... The okay, one. I was going to say, you want me to just go down, down the list? Yeah, yeah. And and while we're talking and and again, one of the things I like to know about the book is did you interview folks for the book? Is this just all your um your research that you've done and and putting your metaphors uh into print? Uh tell us a little bit about the book before we dive I'd in. I'd be I'd be happy to. But well, it started out uh, originally, it started out as an article that I had written about workshops I was doing called Power Tools for Life. I had done some armchair research and discovered that there were um some interpersonal skills across the board that everybody kind of agreed that had 
had the power to make people be more empowered. And so I wrote this article, and when and I also did workshops and presentations on what I call power tools for life. These are the things you need to make you more empowered no matter where you go. And in putting together a book proposal, uh, my agent said, uh, how, how do you feel about power tools for life, for women? And I, and I said, well, you know, 80% of my clients are men. And she said, yeah, but um, women buy books by women, and this is an issue that I think really will resonate for women because the whole issue of power is a really dicey one. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're not kidding. My clients <laughs> talk about this all the time. So I got very excited about being able to sort of pivot and make it about and for women. And then I realized, you know, I don't want this to be about me. I don't have a broad enough range of experiences. So I went back to my clients that I had done the programs with. I did focus groups. I extended invitations to prospects and clients going forward. So there were focus groups. There were workshops. There were presentations. There was one-on-one interviews. Um, and I got a wonderful response and had women from their 20s all the way to their 80s, women of every color, uh, women who were married, divorced, widowed, gay, straight, uh, women of color, women who were handicapped, women who, were ch- who had children, who were child-free, who were childless, you, adopted, uh, widowed. And, and so it really became – what I loved about it was – um, I would just talk about when did you feel empowered, what did you do, when have you not felt empowered, what happened then, what did that like, where did that come from? And right. all of them ended up, I could connect the dots to one of the tools that I was working with. So I got very excited about it because, you know, it's sort of like it's one thing to do armchair research and be in your office and say, I think this is a good idea. But, <laughs> it, you know, it's like it, it really got validated every time I talked to a group of women and they said, either I do that or I need that. Absolutely. So I wanted, I, I wanted to use them also as a springboard. You know, it's, it's not my story, although some of my story is in there. Right. Well, so as we go through these, I would love to hear, you know, your favorite stories or those things that have just really resonated with you or people who've read the book after the fact. So the second one is the electrical sensor. The electrical sensor is, um, in, in the real world, it's, it's a tool that um, allows you to see behind the walls and see where the wiring is. In the metaphorical world of power tools, it helps pick up the clues and cues that other people are sending us. Uh, you know, the clenched fist that indicates that somebody's really annoyed, but they say, oh, no, that's fine. Um, the other thing it does is it picks up our inner voice and amplifies it so we can hear it. Because what I find is women have an incredible, you know, I call it an inner voice. Some people call it a hunch. Some people call it women's intuition. Um, and I find that because it feels like an emotional response, we ignore it. And uh, it's not logical. It doesn't always make sense on paper. Um, but the, the longer your track record, the more experience you have not listening to your inner voice, the better you get at realizing that you really need to be paying attention to, right. to your inner voice because it's, it's giving you information. You know, it's, it's sending up a signal that somehow at some level you know this is wrong or they're not telling you the truth or something, something's just not 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 hitting all six cylinders here. Exactly. And and I, I was going to say one of one of my favorite stories is um, uh, there was a woman who um, she was she was interviewing for a job 
and the executive vice president kept telling her, you know, it's easy. It's only going to take you 40 minutes to get here. And so she would drive the commute to work, and it took her an hour. And she's like, I, I really can't afford to take an hour. I mean, an hour there, an hour back. Right. I've got a, a two-year-old kid. I'm really jammed up. So she said, I can't take this job. It's an hour away. And, and the vice president said, no, it's not. I don't know how you're driving, but it's a 40-minute drive. So she, she drove it on a Sunday afternoon, and it still took her almost an hour. And she said, it's taking me an hour. And, the, and this vice president says, it takes it takes 40 minutes at the most, and we will and 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 you know sort of like downplaying what was her experience. And she thought, well, I want a job. They obviously want me. And this it, this vice president is telling me it only takes 40 minutes. So clearly, from uh, I'm not doing this. So she took the job. And don't you know the commute was? You tell me. An hour. <laughs> of course it was. And so she didn't follow her intuition. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it was just sort of like, oh, why don't I? And it's because, well, it doesn't feel like we're making a logical case for ourselves when we listen to our gut. Right. But it sounds like she needed the next tool, which is the demolition hammer. Yeah. <laughs> the rule. Yeah. The demolition hammer is um, the tool that helps us smash outmoded rules. You know, we've all been brought up with, rules that make sense to someone somewhere, and so we've adopted them. And, and they become sort of um, the rules we live by, and they can be as esoteric as, you know, once you're over 35, you shouldn't have long hair, to, you know, if you're working in an urban location, you wear black, you wear navy blue, you wear gray, and in the summer you can probably get away with tan. Um, there are all kinds of rules. You know, you should have... Uh, 2.3 children, and if one of them is a boy, you should definitely have a dog by the time they're 10. <laughs> um, there are all kinds of rules that we, we live by, and it's interesting, but the demolition hammer allows you to smash those outmoded rules and, and make rules that work for you in your real life, in your real world. Great, um, great. And go ahead. No, no. If you have something you want to add, please go ahead. Well, even something um, right down to you know wearing bright colors at a at a business function. I mean, I know that sounds really silly, and you'd think women had come a lot further. But um, if the rule is bright colors attract attention, only um, political opponents who want to be seen at the podium or wear bright colors, you'd be amazed at how many women wear gray, navy, blue, tan, and black. Huh. Interesting. So let's go on to the tape measure. Learning okay. to set limits. Yeah, tape measure actually is is a tool that I find most women, myself included, struggle with forever. And it's really about setting limits, not only establishing limits, but figuring out what your boundaries are, learning how to uh, communicate your limits, and also making sure that you're your limits and not somebody else's limits. And what happens when we set our limits is people get annoyed because then we're sort of standing in their way and not letting them do what they want, whether it's giving us one more task to do or uh, increasing the scope of a job or a project, um, or even just not doing something perhaps we always used to do. And so we get a lot of pushback and a lot of haranguing, and, and it's not really teasing. It's, you know, you used to do it. That's not fair. I don't like this. I don't like you. Um, 
and, and there's a tremendous amount of pressure on on women to do what other people want. And because most of us are conflict averse, and also we like to be liked and we like to help out people, we say okay, and then. Um, we're overwhelmed and overworked and stretched too thin and pushed way past our limits. Um, in the old days, they called this assertiveness training, but it really is a, a very proactive way of communicating. And the time to figure out your limits is not when somebody pushes you over the limit. It's right. before, you know, it's like you, you fix the roof when it's sunny, not when it's raining. Um, and that's a tough time to set your limit. Well, and I think it, it must also be to actually feel out your limits when they haven't been articulated. I, I, as you and I were talking about yesterday, I've got a client where uh, we, we've got a lot of organizational challenges uh, you know, within the client's organization. And, and one of them, I, I was very, very surprised in interviewing a lot of their senior executives. Um, they had a whole uh, executive team reporting to a woman, and you know, I asked each of them if they knew what their limits were, just even on, on spending and authority, and, and they didn't, and of, of course come to find out she didn't either, which meant that nobody was ever uh, doing anything. You know, they, they were always asking for permission, um, you know, in, instead of figuring out, uh, you know, here here's where my authority starts and ends, and, you know, I don't know whether that, that is unique to women, but uh, it seems to me that that tape measure should also be used to to push the limit if it hasn't been articulated. Absolutely, and and to articulate it in a way, as you pointed out, you know the the words you use indicate how firm your limit is. Um, you know, women often will communicate a very soft limit, like they'll say, "I don't think so," um, or maybe later, or maybe another time, instead of saying something like, "I'm sorry," you know, "I'm swamped <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to do it." Or no, I'm not going out again. Um, another tool is the power saw. Mm-hmm. This is the ability to cut away the things, the people, the situations that hold you back. It cuts out unproductive ways of doing things and um, cuts out the people who uh, are a little toxic in your life. And mm-hmm. So with it, within that chapter, hopefully you tell us a little bit about how to recognize that. So that <laughs> yeah, well, and some of that is, you know, using your electrical sensor, but but some of it is understanding when you're totally stressed out, uh, when the relationship feels um, more uh, more like it's all you and not reciprocal, um, when it's, um, you know, when it's not, when the pleasure is being outweighed by the pain and the stress. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of ways to pay attention to that and also to sort of do um, a mental or actual checklist of how many times something has happened. And, the, and, and, it, and it begs the question, and so what is it you think is going to change? Because we're always, you know, I don't want to give up because any day now, this person is going to be a totally different kind of person and, and come through for me. <laughs> you know, any day my boss is going to wake up and realize how brilliant I am. Um, so we like to hold up. We, we like to hold out hope, um, right. and and it prevents us from moving forward. Generally speaking, women don't break up with other women as friends. Uh, we may fade away, but we don't break up, and we we stay in jobs long past when they serve us well. Mm-hmm. And and so do men deal with those two things differently? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because for men, it's it's um, it's not personal. It's not about who they are. 
It's not about um, how successful, you know, the longer they stay in something, um, you know, it's not about, there are no points for men in terms of how long they put up with stuff. So they're much quicker to say, I'm out of here. Got it, got it. So the next one is the power drill, getting the right information. Power drill is really about asking good questions, asking precise questions, um, getting information you need in order to accomplish your goals or get something done, getting additional information. Um, oftentimes, women either don't ask enough questions or they ask questions in such a way that people will roll their eyes and make them feel like they should stop asking questions when the reality is they really need the information. Um, and so that, you know, the message, when somebody rolls your eyes or kind of asks, like, why are you asking so many questions, the goal is for them to shut you up. And that's really problematic because that information is something you need to do. And, and we tend to get rushed. We're almost willing to shut up and move along. And that, that allows us to um, not do the due diligence that's so required in making sure we get all the information. So framing questions better, uh, differently, uh, asking questions that will reveal information, you know, in, instead of saying, you know, what is, what is the new boss like, saying, you know, how did things go in your meeting with the new boss? Were you surprised about anything that she said? You know, gets the story, gets more information. Um, I also, at the end of each chapter, I have a, a, a punch list, very much like a construction project, things that you right. should do. And um, you can write down key phrases. You can write down the questions you want to ask. You can ask people to ask questions for you if you don't think that uh, you're going to be listened to. And some questions take courage. You know, they, they require you to kind of uh, step up to the plate and ask the question that may be on everyone's mind but nobody's willing to ask out loud. Right. Now, Another question. When I think, uh, I'm sorry, were you? When no, no, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say this next one sounds like something we ought to be really, really good at, and that's we are. Women are great at this. Women are great at this, making connections and keeping them strong, um, and and connections that hold up under stress and pressure. Women are wonderful about creating relationships, uh, maintaining them, keeping in touch. Um, they, many of them have tickler files. They have girls groups. They have groups like this. They get together. They, they remember birthdays. They spend time together. But what I'm seeing is a real trend for uh, women to, in many ways, their lives become a lot like men. And so we're going at 180 miles an hour. And the person you used to see once a month, you now see maybe once a quarter, or maybe you're, the person you see once a quarter is becoming a Christmas card friend. Um, and, and we're just stretched incredibly thin. Um, I, and a friend of mine actually said at one point, she said, you know, I met this woman and I really like her, but I, I feel like somebody's going to have to die because I don't have any room for any more friends. I don't have any more space. I don't see the people I like who are alive. Right. And I thought, isn't that awful? Um, well, that, and that it's so true. I mean, we've, we've found that even with the executive girlfriends group, you know, the, the women who have participated on a regular basis you know, absolutely love it and understand that it's vital ju just having that little piece that's carved out. But we've seen, you know, person after person who used to be a regular um, doing way more with less at work, and, you know, they, they just can't even keep up. Yep, yep. And, and physically, you know, I took physics three times in college, and I learned three different times in three different ways. You can't do more with less. 
You can do different with less, but you're not going to do more right. with less. Right. So you're right. Women are really, really good at this, but um, it can be very stressful. But it is, it's absolutely critical. It, you know, connections are essential for mental health, emotional well-being, and professional um, support. But, you know, really it means maybe you need to go back and pick up the power saw again and figure out yep, how to cut exactly. out some of those relationships that are draining you rather than Exactly. I mean, these are tools that, you know, once you figure out what your goal is, then you figure out, all right, what tools do I need to get better at using and use in conjunction with one another. So talk to me about the power sander, smoothing out rough spots with others and buffing up your sense of humor. Um, this, you know, on one hand, women are terrific at this. It's really about creating rapport and using your sense of humor and, and smoothing out the rough spots between folks, like handling conflict, stepping up to the plate, um, creating uh, a good relationship. Um, sometimes it's even something as banal as um, cocktail party chatter. But one of the things that this is important for, this particular tool, it's not just for people that we like. It's actually an essential tool for people we don't like because the people you don't like may still be in positions where you need to have a good relationship. And women have a tendency to not like to play those games. And so we don't like to create rapport with people we don't care for. Um, And that can really hurt us. Whereas men right. are much better. And you've seen you know, the, the jokes about lawyers in the courtroom who go after each other's throats and then afterwards go out and have a drink and play golf together. Right. So knowing how to um, create rapport and how to get a seat at the table and how to create relationships where you're seen as uh, a resource and a viable part of someone's network, even if you don't necessarily uh, like them, is an important skill. Now, you also use this chapter to talk about mentoring. Yes. Yeah. Um, Mentors are really, um, I don't know where I'd be without them, but I know I wouldn't be where I am, um, whether they're male or female. But sometimes, you know, you, you see someone and you think, I would really love to be a mentor to that person. I don't know how to create that relationship to make that happen. Or they're already doing that for so many people, how can I get in there and, and get, get some of that wisdom and, and knowledge and, right. and tap that? And, and you can. There are ways to create rapport with people, starting small, um, creating a connection, and then building on it and buffing it. Um, there are ways to do it in a very strategic way. Um, and so that power standard can really help you create those relationships, whether it's in an organization or with clients or in your community, that can really support you professionally over the long haul. Right. But, you know, it sounds to me like you need to sit back and uh, actually take advantage of the next one before you do that, which is the battery pack. Yeah, battery pack with recharger. Um, We need to not only know how to generate energy and recharge it, but we need to have the energy for the life we're living, not the life we want to live. Um, And... Lots of women are waiting for someday, um, right. and in the meantime, today is here and now. Um, we need the energy to, for, so that we can last as long as we need to last. Um, if you're dealing with chronic situations, whether it is a merger, um, a downturn in the economy, um, a unemployed spouse, an illness, an aging parent, a uh, mental health issue, those are chronic situations that are a constant chronic drain. 
And so women need to take care of themselves in ways where their energy is replenished. And oftentimes women put everyone first and then wonder why they're so exhausted. But when I ask them, you know, they, they all, we all seem to ascribe to the golden rule. The problem with the golden rule is, you know, that, you know, do unto others as you would have done to you. When you do unto others and you put them first, they don't learn to put you first. What they learn is that you put them first. Right. And so you're not really teaching them anything of value in terms of helping you. So, you know, women need to get that sometimes you do have to come first because if you don't put yourself first, no one else is going to. You're the, you are the most important person in your life. And so what are you doing to take care of yourself on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, not just, you know, when you get to take your vacation? Right. And so that brings us to having some kind of tool to measure, you know, which is so key in, in everything that we do in our lives of, uh, of being able to see where you are. So the voltage meter. Voltage meter, uh, the voltage meter is, is actually twofold. It's, it's one, to get, un, it, what it does in the real world of, of power tools is it sees unseen things behind walls, very much like um, the, the um, electrical sensor. But unlike the electrical sensor, it gives you a reading. So the voltage meter for the metaphorical world of power tools for women helps us get to that unseen hidden information, get feedback. Um, most women should have at least one or two people that they can use as a reality check, where you can call that person and say, let me tell you what happened. I did this, she did this, I did this, and she did this. Am I crazy or is she crazy? And because they're objective and they care for you, they can say both, no, she's crazy. You need to walk away from that. Or, you know, I think you, you, it sounds like you were a little out of line and you might have to go back and apologize. Um, they're great at giving you reality in a way that's caring so that they're an objective voice. Um, and the ability also to go to bosses and mentors and girlfriends and husbands and, and colleagues and say, give me some feedback. I need some feedback. Not a laundry list of everything I'm doing wrong, but I need some specific feedback about this because it's not working for me and I need to do something about the outcome because I'm not happy with it. Um, and people, again, who will give you information in a way that's objective and caring and accurate. Um, and we really need that because it helps us. Um, and, and feedback not asked for is rarely given and rarely taken well. So we have to ask for it. It's a reality check. And women need to ask for specifics. You know, when they say, well, you know, you just have a bad attitude. Okay, well, could you tell me what you mean? What is it I do? Right. What is it I say? How do I look? Because I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. And focus exactly. on that. You know, focus on how do I how do I look when I what do I say? What are the actions that I'm doing? Because those are the things you can change. Mm -hmm. Well, and having you hit the nail on the head, having someone who cares enough about you. And I mean, I uh, as girlfriends, uh, I would actually use the stronger word of somebody who loves you enough uh, to be honest. And yeah. you know, I think. Surrounding ourselves, and and I'm I'm very very fortunate because I've got a, a a group that I get together with weekly who who is my accountability group uh, on that front, and uh, you know making sure that you've got people who are willing to tell you the honest truth even when it is a little bit painful. Absolutely, you know even when you're not you may not be ready, um, your network of relationships 
can help you find a way to be ready. Right. Well, and those are the same people who can be there for you in an emergency. And the next one is duct tape, planning for plan B. Yeah, duct tape, you know, duct tape is, again, you don't plug it in, but it's great because you can use it for emergencies, um, and it works when nothing else works. It'll hold stuff together. And Mm -hmm. I always tell, you know, one of the things I learned early on in my career was to ask the client, what's the worst that can happen? And then when they tell me, say, okay, so what are you going to do if that happens? Because I'd rather have a plan that you never need than not have a plan and then you need it. And while power tools are incredibly empowering, they don't always work well. They don't always work right. They don't always work the first time you use them. And we are always coming up against personalities that we've never encountered before who just blow our minds and they don't work at all. And so you need to have a backup plan so that you can accomplish your goal or at least not be forced into doing something you don't want to do. So duct tape is great for uh, metaphorically creating a plan B or a plan C or a plan D because you, you, you can't predict the future. And no matter how good you are with these skills, sometimes it's just not going to work the way you envision. Um, and, and it's wonderful when they do, and I've had lots of uh, women tell me about things that they've tried, and you know, they just, just a small change in their behavior gave them incredible results. But I've also had women tell me, you know, I did this, I, I did it, I practiced, and, but you know something, I said X, and then, then Y happened, and I was totally, but at least, at least I had a backup plan, and so I wasn't painted into a corner and forced to do something I didn't want to do. Right, right. Well, the last two are all about uh, using your tools properly and actually mastering them, nailing it down. And and this, uh, these two chapters really talk about uh, having a plan and, and actually executing it because you can't use any of these tools if, if you haven't figured out what, what the task is. And then actually mastering it and... Uh, you know, making sure that you're prepared and, and using things the proper way and, and, and safely. Yeah, and, and mastery, you know, mastery is not just about being able to use these tools really well. Mastery is about when, when life goes to hell in a handbasket, um, extreme stress, tragedy comes to your life, you, you're emotionally melting down because even though it feels like it's only happening to you, it's a very universal experience to just want to curl up in a fetal position and hide out in the closet. And right. mastery of your power tools is the ability to find your tools, grab them, figure out what you need to do, even when it's a really dire situation. And and that's you know that's that's true empowerment. I mean that's uh, an amazing opportunity, but it's one that comes with a lot of practice in using power tools on a daily basis with smaller issues. So, Joni, why don't you uh, close with your your favorite story about empowerment from this whole process of putting the book together? Oh gosh, I I have so many. I, I I'd be hard pressed to give you my favorite, but I can give you the most recent. Um, I did the program, and I uh, I had a, a PhD, very extremely brilliant woman, um, call me after the program and say, I just I have this problem, and I you know I'm so swamped, and I'm all over the world giving papers and presentations, and there is a woman who was she's always waiting for me in my office, and and I'm feeling and and I just don't have time for her, 
I, I, she's always waiting for me. It's always critical. She reports to me, but I'm feeling like maybe I should move my office to avoid her because it's just becoming uh, unwieldy. <laughs> I just thought, like, you're going to move your office to avoid somebody who reports to you? This doesn't sound right. So we talked about, you know, the goal, and her goal was that she didn't want to be accosted when she came back to her office because usually it was dump one set of folders, pick up another set of folders, and go to another part of the organization. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, why don't you say, to her, you know, why don't we create a plan? And we, so we talked about using the power drill, using the tape measure, having her goal, having a backup plan with her duct tape. Um, and, and what she did was she said, okay, she turned around, she sat down with the woman, she asked a lot of questions, she talked about the, you know, she didn't need to reveal why it wasn't working with her. She just said, here's a strategy that I think would be much more successful for both of us. Email me your question. I promise that I will get back to you within 24 hours. It might not be in person, but I will respond within 24 hours. If you need to talk with me, we can set something up. But send me an email. Don't wait for me in my office. And within three days, she had totally not just changed this employee's behavior, but the employee was satisfied. And I got this phone call at the end of the following week. She goes, I feel like a new woman. Wow. And I said, you're kidding. I mean, it's, it's a simple fix. She said, yeah, I know. She said, but you don't understand how I couldn't see the answer. It, the solution wasn't apparent. I didn't feel empowered. And all I wanted to do was run away from the problem because all it did every time I saw her was stress me out. Wow. And she said, I, I, she says, I know it's small, but I want to tell you, even just a small use of empowerment it has just totally changed my work environment. And I was like, wow. Uh, you know, and, and it's true. Uh, even just a small shift, a small pivot in terms of how you use your power can just change the quality of the relationship or the situation in such a way that you're like, regardless of why I didn't do it before, I am so glad I did this now and believe that I could probably do it with less angst the next time. Well, that is just great. You know, Joni, at the end of your book, you've got a a power tool self-assessment that people can take of, uh, you know, just seeing seeing where they rank in in, uh, their their need for some of these things, both in their personal life and in their work and public life. Why don't you also share with people how they can get a hold of you? Well, they can get a hold of me by going to www.joniedaniels.com. That's J-O-N-I. D-A-N-I-E-L-S dot com. I have a website. I have a blog. And like everybody else these days, I'm on Facebook and I tweet. Um, and they can get the book uh, by going right to Amazon. Um, okay, book, yeah, and we also have a link to your book on the Executive, Girlfriends, uh, Girl, Executive Girlfriends Group Bookstore. Easy for me to say. And there's a link <laughs> to that on, on the uh, homepage of, of the Executive Girlfriends Group private site. uh, And that does get fulfilled through Amazon. Chicky, I can't thank you enough because I have to tell you, when the book the book came out in 2002, and I was Uh doing workshops before the book came out. I am doing maybe not as many because you know the book is you know there are other books that have come out since that maybe resonate more for people. But I got to tell you, I'm still doing programs on uh, power tools for women and power tools for life and power tools in general, and these issues. Are still issues women grapple with, and oh, I, think, I know they're timeless. And I, and I have to laugh because as I was no. reading the intro to your book, you were talking about Philofax, and 
and, uh, yeah. and a Palm Pilot. And I thought, yeah. okay, I, I, w- I wouldn't have even have, had to look at the date when the book was published, but right. it is definitely a timeless set of messages. I do want to allow uh, any questions or comments if we do have them, uh, so don't want to cut show, uh, folks short. Uh, does anyone have something that they'd like to ask Joni? Any comment? Yeah, this is Melissa. Um, I loved your your chapter about the electrical sensor. That is a one of the issues that I've had that it just drives me crazy because I've carried it with me my entire career and just cannot seem to ditch it. Is that I have a really strong intuition. I just know things, and sometimes mm-hmm. I'll hear an idea and I know if it's going to work or not, but if I know it won't work, I really don't want to be a naysayer to someone, and I don't want to stop it. You know, I don't want to hear that or don't think other people want to hear me say, oh, that won't work. So I'll just kind of like let it, let it go, go along, and I'm trying to, to come up with the, a better way to manage through that because it really does happen the way I think most of the time, but <laughs> no one would ever know it. So are you looking for a way to um, express yeah, your doubts without being a naysayer? Yes. That's a you know that's a uh, I don't say that's a dodgy area because um, as parents as um, uh, managers um, I think it's always challenging when you sort of see that the bridge is out and nobody else does. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so all I can tell you is there are a couple of ways to handle it. One is to say, tell me a little bit about your, your logic here because I'm not so sure I see it. Um, and asking a lot more questions using the power drill can sometimes help reveal some of the holes in people's plans. There are other times when, as I said to one person a couple of weeks ago, the bridge is out. And you don't have the wheel. So if I were you, I'd grab yourself a cup of coffee, I'd get a book, I'd sit down and hang on tight for the ride. Mm, that's good advice. That's good advice. Especially when it's not your decision, right? right. When, you're, when you're just, you're maybe a peripheral party to it, but you're not the decision maker. Yeah, it's it's really it's really tough. But advice not asked for is rarely taken well. True. So okay, thank you for that. Kata, <laughs> do we have any other questions? Okay, great. Well, Joni, thank you so much. It has been delightful. I can't wait to finish reading the book. Uh, I just downloaded it on my Kindle today so that I can oh, awesome. it with me and, and read it uh, when I need uh, a particular tool. I will literally have it with me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it was a pleasure. Um, and if you have any questions or comments, um, I'm as close as email. Well, great. And we will have uh, Joni's profile will also be on the Executive Girlfriends group site with the link over to her website and uh 
uh, a copy of her book as one of her photo images so that you guys will remember who she is. And uh, uh, sometime uh, by Monday we will have the audio up for those people who weren't able to be online with us today. So that will be available both on Blog Talk Radio and our iTunes channel, uh, which is called Solutions Live. Uh, as well as also being posted on the egg uh, site for our egg members. And then next Friday, uh, we will be joined by Nancy Clark, and her book is 18 Holes for Leadership, How a Round of Golf Can Make You a Better Leader, and it is a business tale for leaders. And Nancy, thank you so much for joining us uh, as as just a listener on, on the phone today. We've appreciated having you on, on the call. Okay, she may not still be with us, but uh, I want to just thank everybody who uh, joined us live, and we are going to turn off the recording now because what's said on the rest of the egg call stays on the rest.